readers, and welcome to episode 19 of Lost the Plot, the Tinted Edges monthly podcast all about books. I'm your host, Ang Harrod, and as the giving season is just about upon us, this episode we're going to be talking about giving books. Our friend Sally from Asia Bookroom is joining us again, but this time to talk about their annual giving tree. There's also heaps of book news, lots of book events, some exciting news about book releases, and an update on that Fifty Shades of Grey street library prank. So you might remember in episode 18, we chatted about a prank that happened to the Koala Park Laundromat Street Library in Burley Heads, Queensland. Someone removed all the books in the street library and replace them with copies of Fifty Shades of Grey. Outrageous! The laundromat told me that they were considering a counter prank, but ultimately they didn't have to. After Dominique, the laundromat's owner, threatened to review the CCTV footage, the prankster came forward and returned the books. In memory of the prank, there will be one copy of the Fifty Shades trilogy left on the shelf, and Dominique has promised not to reveal the prankster's identity. However, that wasn't the only story of an unusual library visitor. Port Macquarie street librarian Jill had a very fluffy visitor at her street library called Born to Read. It was a koala! She took an absolutely stunning photo of the marsupial checking out her book donation stack, and you can check it out in the show notes. Meanwhile, I had my own interesting visitor this month at the Kitchener Street Library here in Canberra. I came home one day after work and had a bit of a sticky beak in the library, and I was very surprised to find that it was full of artworks made out of upcycled pieces of cardboard. Somebody had left nine of them in my street library, um, all over the books, tucked into the visitor's book, with little paper business cards sticky taped to them. I was at a little bit of a loss as to how to respond, so I posted on the street library librarian's page for some advice. After a number of comments, I decided to email the visitor and just clarify what the street library is all about, and I got a very terse reply in response, just four words, saying, just throw them out. Anyway, I haven't quite brought myself to do that, so I might think of something else I can do with the artworks instead. Finally, I'm still finding some gems going through all of my old school memories. On that date that I was going through a particular box, I found what must have been my first ever published article published exactly 20 years prior on that very day. It was an op-ed on the importance of childhood literacy, which I must have written when I was about 10 or 11 years old. So it's good to see that some things never change. You can see my little article, and no, I do not have any excuse for the size of the spacing between the words in the show notes. Since the theme for this month is giving books, we'll skip books for the world uh, for this episode and we'll cut straight to book news and boy, was there heaps. As it gets towards the end of the year, there are lots of book awards and top read lists being announced everywhere. First up, the 2017 World Fantasy Award winners have been announced. There are a number of categories in these awards, including Best Novel, which was won by Claire North for her book The Sudden Appearance of Hope, which sounds like an intriguing story about a girl who nobody remembers. The awards were announced at the World Fantasy Convention in Texas, USA, and the theme this year was Secret Histories. Authors Terry Brooks and Marina Warner were both honoured with Lifetime Achievement Awards. Every year, 
Readings releases a list of 50 great reads by Australian women, which is inspired by the Australian Women Writers Challenge, which I actually hadn't heard about before this month. I've very belatedly taken it up. Um, You can check out the books I've read in the challenge so far this year on the Tinted Edges website. Even though I was late to the party, I somehow have already read 10 books by Aussie women this year, so I'm pretty pleased with myself about that. Anyway, Every Year Readings releases a list of 50 great reads by Aussie women, but this year the range has been so fantastic that they've doubled it and have released a list of 100. Online heavyweight Amazon have released their best books of 2017. There's also 100 books on their list, so I won't even attempt to go through them all here, but their number one was a book called Killers of the Flower Moon by David Graham. This sounds like a fascinating story based on the murders of wealthy members of the Osahi Indian Nation in Oklahoma, USA. The Books Are My Bag Awards have been announced, which are the only book awards which are chosen by booksellers in the UK and Ireland. There are several categories, and the reader's choice this year was This Is Going to Hurt, Secret Diaries of a Junior Doctor by Adam Kay, a book which also took out the non-fiction award. There are also some shortlists that have been announced for upcoming awards. The Australian Prime Minister's Literary Awards shortlist is out, with four of the six novels also shortlisted for the Miles Franklin Award this year. The winner is going to be announced sometime in December. The Goodreads Choice Awards 2017 will be announced on the 5th of December, with lots of categories voted on by people on the Goodreads website. Then, much closer to home for me, is the ACT Book of the Year Award. The ACT, for those playing at home or living overseas, uh, is Australian Capital Territory and Australia's capital city, where I live, is in fact Canberra, not Sydney. I know, mind-blowing. Anyway, I'll talk about this event later on in the podcast for local listeners, but that award will be handed out on the 7th of November. So I mentioned last podcast some books that were being released this month that I was really excited about. Joanne Harris's new novel, A Pocket Full of Crows, is out and was apparently originally inspired by a ballad. Um, Brandon Sanderson, fantasy author, his, the third installment in his epic Stormlight Archive series, Oathbringer, was released, and it is an absolute tome. You could kill a man with this book. It's enormous. I don't recommend that, but it is huge. I haven't started reading it yet, but I'm informed that so far it's good. It's a series of 10 books, though, so I think you should really consider that before you attempt to start it. Sanderson is a workhorse of a writer, though, so I do have no doubt that he'll finish them. Miles Franklin winner A.S. Patrick has a new novel out called Atlantic Black that sounds very interesting about a teenage girl on a ship and her mother has a mental health crisis while they're stuck out in the middle of the ocean. Then, the gorgeous illustrated edition of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, a companion textbook to the Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling, was re-released. It's absolutely stunning. The artwork is gorgeous. There are heaps of new beasts that have been included since the original publication. And, in fact, to celebrate, I've got some special postcards for all my existing Patreon supporters and any new supporters who join up this month. So if you like Lost the Plot podcast, you want to help keep it on air, you can check out the Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash tinted edges and get yourself a postcard. So there have been also quite a few exciting announcements about books being released next year. 
Roxanne Gay is releasing a new book of essays called Not That Bad, which is apparently going to be about rape culture with a lot of different contributors. Stephen King has a new novel slated for June 2018 called The Outsider that sounds like a super intense crime novel about a little boy who gets murdered. Acclaimed Australian graphic novelist Sean Tan has a new one coming out called Cicada. Now, I don't know what it's about, but it does have a cicada, which um, is a type of Australian insect dressed as a businessman on the front and is apparently about a bug working in an office and all the people who don't love him. I am so excited about this one. Sean Tan just does the most exquisite artworks. Finally, Aussie author Tim Winton has a new novel coming out called The Shepherd's Hut, and that'll be released on the 12th of March in 2018. This novel is going to be about a young man called Jaxie who flees his hometown away from his life with a violent father and makes his way through the Western Australian wheat belt. It sounds like it's a book about Australian masculinity and I'm really keen to get myself a copy when it's out. Now, what would be the opposite of a book release? Would it be an anti-book release? A book recall? Book censorship? Either way, I have not one but two stories of books being pulled this month. The first is a book called What Am I Supposed to Eat? by Dr. Libby Weaver. The book, which is largely about diet, included a derogatory term used to describe people with Down syndrome that has not been acceptable since the 1960s. The doctor said she was mortified and the book has been recalled from shelves until a repeat can be organised by the publisher. The other book that was pulled was a book called Silent Invasion, How China is Turning Australia into a Puppet State by Clive Hamilton, a professor of ethics at Charles Sturt University. The book's publishers, Allen and Unwin, decided to pull the book after they had concerns that publication would open them, and the author, up to defamation actions by Beijing's agents of influence, whatever that means. The move, which is quite unusual for a publisher, has drawn criticism for impinging on free speech, a right that, actually, strictly speaking, doesn't even exist in Australia. And it's prompted the author to say, the reason they've decided not to publish this book is the very reason this book needs to be published. Allen and Unwin said they wanted to delay publication to get further legal advice, but said that the author Hamilton wanted his rights to be returned um, without any delay. Anyway, so... There have been two huge announcements for TV series that are going to be coming up. Um, One of them is also to do with rights. So there's been a battle between Amazon and Netflix over the rights for a Lord of the Rings TV series. Amazon has apparently won these rights and they will be producing the multi-season series with Tolkien's estate that will be apparently exploring other stories by Tolkien outside of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And then another exciting TV series is the upcoming adaptation of the satirical World War II novel Catch-22. This series is going to start George Clooney as the main character, Yasserian. The series will commence shooting in 2018, but it isn't clear yet what the distribution network is going to be. So speaking of adaptations, it is time for the obligatory Harry Potter news section. And we've had a lot of announcements about the second movie in the spin-off series, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. The title has been announced and it's going to be called The Crimes of Grindelwald. Pottermore released a very short clip showing some of the main characters. And we know we're going to definitely be seeing Newt Scamander, Tina, her sister Queenie and Jacob from the first film with... Uh, Johnny Depp back as Grindelwald. 
Jude Law is going to be playing the young Transfiguration Professor Dumbledore. Obscurial Credence is returning somehow, and we're going to meet the mysterious leader Lestrange, played by Zoe Kravitz, who is apparently engaged to Newt's brother Theseus. Whew! So Pottermore has been publishing heaps of info about the film, which is going to be released in November 2018. Just as exciting though, fans of Pokemon Go take a seat because there is a new augmented reality mobile game coming out called Harry Potter Wizards Unite. A release date hasn't been announced yet, but we do know that you'll be able to take part in adventures, find magical creatures, cast spells, search for artifacts, meet iconic wizarding characters, and develop your own wizarding career. But if you can't wait that long and you need some magic now, do not despair. A new fairy tale themed bar has opened up in Melbourne. It's called Storyville. It's on Lonsdale Street. It has all of these great different themed rooms and I am definitely going when I am down in Melbourne in December. In other news about exciting openings, an enormous library has opened in China called the Tianjin Binhai Library, and it's been nicknamed The Eye. It has an incredibly futuristic look with undulating bookshelves and houses 1.2 million books. Tens of thousands of people came to visit the library in its opening week, and it looks amazing. Then, the State Library of Victoria has opened its new exhibition, World of the Book, um, which commenced on the 10th of November. The exhibition explores the history of book design from medieval to current and explores five different themes, books and ideas, books and imagination, exploring the world, art and nature, and artists and books. I will also definitely be checking this one out in December when I'm down in Victoria. It sounds amazing. Finally, the Stella Prize has launched its new resource for young people aged 15 to 24 called Read Up. The initiative has five lists of books designed to help guide and empower young people in their thinking about diverse cultures, LGBTIQ plus issues, respectful relationships, minds and bodies, and feminism. Each list contains a wide range of titles and thinking points to encourage young people to reflect on issues of representation and equality. This might be a good reference point for people looking for books to give as presents to young people this Christmas. This month's theme is giving books. I'm going to talk about a few of my favourite book-related charities, and I thought that the best place to start was with Asia Bookroom's annual Giving Tree. I caught up with our friend Sally again from episode 8 to find out all about it. So we're sitting here, it's a very rainy afternoon, uh, with Sally from Asia Bookroom who is joining us again. Hi Sally. Thank you for having me again. Uh, thank Hi. you so much for being here again. So Sally uh, is going to talk to us about an initiative that's run every year at the Asia Bookroom, which is the Asia Bookroom Christmas Tree. So can you explain to our listeners what that is? Certainly. Yeah, um, we've been running uh, this Christmas tree now for a little while. And um, what we do is we start in early November with a completely empty Christmas tree. So the Christmas tree is there, but it's got no decorations on it at all. And then we invite people to help us decorate our tree. And we do that in a slightly different sort of way in that each of our decorations represents, symbolises an amount of money. And once the tree is fully decorated, or even before if people are terribly generous, the money will um, add up to the just over $5,000 we need to fund a teacher in a Nepalese village 
um, for a next year for her, you know, for her salary. So we need, as I say, just over five thousand dollars. The teacher's name is Lami Sherpa, and um, she's a young woman. I think she's twenty-eight now, mm. and she's just been out of teacher training for a couple of years. Brilliant. And so, what uh, can you just tell us what each decoration color corresponds to? Um, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they, you get you get to choose your color. That's um, it. So within parameters. <laughs> exactly. Um, so $20 pays for one day of Lamy uh, Sherpa's teaching. I should add that it's sort of, um, we've worked it out that over the year because um, on a five-day week she does get paid, most unusually, she gets paid for holidays as well. So the classrooms in the clouds who are the people who administer this, um, they make sure that these people are very fairly paid. So a red donation, you, you pay $20 and that symbolises a whole day of teaching. A blue donation symbolises two and a half um, days of uh, teaching and that's $50. For $100 you get a whole week of uh, teaching and for $200 you uh, get a, a gold donation, a gold uh, bauble and it's um, two weeks worth of teaching. Brilliant. So yeah, so there's four levels: um, yep. red, blue, green, and, and gold. And gold. Um, awesome. And so, how long has the annual fundraiser been going on? Um, for five years. This is the fifth year. This is the fifth year. Yeah. Okay. So yep. this is year number five. Um, and how did the Christmas tree initiative begin? Right. Um, well, we sort of. I have to admit. I hate putting up Christmas decorations, <laughs> and I thought oh. maybe other people could help. <laughs> I see, <laughs> and that's slightly how it came. It was also I was thinking, you know, we should have some sort of giving tree or something like that. Yeah, but you do see that sort of thing around a lot, and I know that having helped other things in Indonesia and places like that sometimes that the last thing people actually want is a load of books or toys or something brought in because there's the freight costs of getting them there they yep. may not be suitable especially if the books are in English and not yep. at all suitable yep. and also I know of stuff that's gone to places at times in the past that have then been held up by customs yeah and they'd had huge penalties put on them or not got there because of it basically it is complicated so that actually happened with um, my family book charity books for the world and it took so long and we and we picked countries that had that English was their national language so we could get books from Australia to there that were appropriate but just yeah the freight you know organizing to get them over there we we ended up getting them to Tanzania and then they just were held up at customs for months and it took you know we were very lucky we knew somebody over there who was able to assist yeah But you're right, it just, I mean, you know, all this goodwill, but sometimes just the logistics just completely get away from you. Exactly. Yeah. Doing some of these things is hard enough here. Yeah. Never mind where we kind of know all the rules, never mind in places where we don't know the rules. Yeah, exactly. And maybe don't have linguistic skills that are sufficient or at all in the case of Nepal. Yeah. In my case. (laughs) So, and the other good thing, I guess, about giving money that's going to go there is the money will all be spent there. So... At some years we have raised just a little bit more than Alami Sherpa's wages and then it's either spent on teacher training, which uh, they, yep. they do quite a bit of, or on books and resources for the school, which are then bought within the In country, yeah, yeah, yeah so. okay. Um, and so has it always been done through classrooms in the clouds? In the clouds. Very originally, actually, it was started by a, a Canberra, or I became aware of it, it was started by a Canberra nurse with a couple of other nurses right. who'd been trekking in Nepal and who'd seen the need. 
and um, she has now gone on to do more in the medical area there, but which is why it kind of got moved over when she was organising, um, you know, uh, uh, clinics and things yep, there, yep. Um, because it's more in line with what she's particularly, you know, skilled in, because she is a nurse. Um, but uh, uh, she was friends with this lady who runs Classrooms in the Clouds, which is a UK-based organisation, a very small UK charity. Oh, okay. And then they just get the money straight in there. So it sort of it seems a little odd for a um, you know for a small Australian tree to be putting its money through the UK, but they have a they don't have a bank account here and stuff, so there's not much. Um, not much money lost in the way of you know exchange rates or anything like that. I put all the money in here, yep. and then they move it directly over to Nepal. Yeah, perfect. And they're small and, and uh, committed, so there's not um, you know and lots of volunteer people. So I don't think I, I'm not sure. I don't think anybody is paid in it. So it is yep. all getting the money directly there. Yeah, brilliant. And so the connection, I guess, to Asia Book Room is the is the Canberra nurse. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so she's still around, but as I say, doing other things. Um, she's still in contact with Classrooms in the Clouds because she just emailed me the other day and said, oh, because we were, we were off to a great start this year. Yep. Within a few hours, we've got several hundred dollars. So Yeah, well, I mean, I'm looking at the, Chris- the Christmas tree and I mean, gosh, it's not even December and it's already one side is basically covered, which yeah. is really, it really is impressive. Great. Yeah, it is great. Yeah, and we've brilliant. got about $2,000. We've got $2,007 as we speak oh, right So now. getting close to halfway. Yeah. yeah I mean, brilliant. sometimes things sort of... Please don't anyone listening be put off <laughs> joining in because you yeah, know, join in now <laughs> while there's still room on the tree. That's Do it, it now, exactly. So um, you know because sometimes things like this slow down. But, yeah, and if look if they get more money, it does get put into teacher training. And I was just reading a report that Lami Sherpa wrote, and she said when she first came out of teacher, you know, education, and I don't know how what their education is like there um, for teachers. Maybe it's wonderful. Forgive me, people who know better. But um, she didn't know really how to engage the students. Yeah, and it's because of the extra teacher training that she's been given that she's teaching because she's teaching primary school age kids that oh, she's now learnt about using games and all that sort of stuff and she says you know I feel proud yeah. because all the kids are engaged and yeah. they're clearly learning and so so, so not only um, does this initiative go to making sure Lamy Sherpa has wages for the year but it, it also helps her to get some career development and better if there's money over yeah, the 5,000 exactly. yeah exactly and more effectively assist the students exactly yeah brilliant um, and so so you said that you, you thought, look, a Christmas tree, you don't really like decorating no, Christmas trees lazy, yourself. Yeah. So I thought, hey, everyone else can do this for us. <laughs> yeah. And and you get really engaged with this decoration, the Christmas tree. By Christmas time, I'm like, this is my hobby. Yeah. What have we, what have we got on the Christmas tree? You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. So it's really exciting. And it looks really nice in the Asia Book Room as well because it's, you know, it's, it's bright green. It contrasts with all the, the red paintwork and, you know, all the old sort of bookshelves and stuff like that and then you've just got these super bright baubles there just um yeah so it's quite striking I, I do like the sort of I guess juxtaposition between the tree and the Chinese lanterns yeah, though. <laughs> all various cultures going on in here yeah <laughs> a very open-minded shop at the moment <laughs> um so well most I'm assuming that most people, you know, they can come in and they can donate money straight over the counter and hang up their own decoration. That's right. Um, And so, you know, they can see they can see the information. They can pick. Okay, well, I've got, 
you know, $20, so I'm going to do a red decoration, or I've got $100, I'm going to do a green decoration. But um, I understand you also accept donations from people who aren't in Canberra, who can't right. make it to the shop. Yeah, because a lot of our customers, we're mainly mail order, so, or not, you know, we're a lot mail order, so, yeah. which is why, I mean, we've had people from um, customers in New York and actually in England donating. And oh, from all yeah, over the world? From all over the world. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, straight away, somebody donated £150 sterling in, from New York. So, God, so <laughs> British pounds from New York to an Australian <laughs> exactly. Well, I must fundraiser. Say they, they sent it straight because if you go to classroomsintheclouds.org, yep. which is uh, um, that's the website for them, um, that's what I was suggesting people who are not in Canberra do, yeah. unless they want to send an Australian dollar check by post to us. Um, if they go there, there's a PayPal donate button. So, of course, Perfect. you don't have to have a PayPal account. You can use that as a guest and pay by credit card, or you can use your PayPal account. Yeah. And then, then it is taken in pounds so that, you know, again, they don't get too many conversions going on all over the place. Yeah, perfect. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds so good. And it's such a... Because I guess one of the most important things that Lamy Chef would be doing is to helping the kids improve their literacy, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there's just so many things she is doing. I think, you know, obviously these are, these are kids who come from, even by Nepalese standards, poor backgrounds, yeah. apparently. I mean, one of the kids that is um, actually a picture of on our website at the moment, but um, I read about him, you know, by by afternoon where he has to work and one of the jobs he does is hauling rocks oh. so and he's 12 and he's 12 years yeah. old oh, so gosh, he comes that's to school in the morning and yeah so she's obviously she's hopefully teacher they learn the english i don't know how much they do at that age but in this school they also learn english and of course literacy and numeracy and all that sort of stuff um but uh, one of the other things I think Lamy Sherpa does by just being is in, in, they're in Bung, a part of Bung, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it, B-U-N-G, in Nepal. And um, it's certainly in that area, there's still a lot of young girls who are married at a very young age. Oh, right. So she's quite a role model because there she is in her 20s, educated and, you know, out there doing yeah, things. Yeah, a teacher working wage. in a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah so brilliant. Sort of, lots of, sort of lots of messages going on in all this, which is great. Yeah, and and so is this Lamy Shepard's fifth year herself um, as no, a teacher? I think we, for the first couple of years, we had a, a young man who we supported. Yep. And then we got Lamy Sherpa and we got her. <laughs> and we, we helped to you know, fundraise for her as of last year. And I think she's been out for two or three years now from teacher training. Yeah, brilliant. So, yeah, she's still kind of young and feeling her way. But she said how proud and excited she is to teach. It's so oh, nice. It sounds like she's doing it's a great job. It's very kind of humbling stuff. You kind of went, Yes, these, yeah. are, these are people who are really making a difference. These people out there, you know, doing this in many schools across the world, including our schools, I think. Yeah, well, because you think of the difference in education could make, you know, to, to that young boy, that 12-year-old boy, who's otherwise his job prospects are hauling rocks, you Absolutely. know. But if he, can, if he can read and he can write and he can, you know, progress through primary school. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, especially because in his case, his father was, uh, you know, a, a Sherpa person for a trekking and he was killed in a trekking accident. Oh, no. And there's four children, I think, three or four children. And his mother um, left left yeah. the kids yeah. so his uncle took them in and apparently his uncle's really good to them yeah but you know so he hasn't even got a great family sort of background in a way and so he's really you know the world is slightly against him but yeah he's apparently particularly intelligent and yeah. bright so hopefully he will learn enough to free himself from that particular level of, <laughs> of socioeconomic group yeah 
And our listeners can help do that by... It would be wonderful. And you don't have to, if you don't want to donate 20, 50, 100 or $200, you know, donating a dollar is better than nothing. I mean, I don't mean that to sound so... Anything is positive is what I'm really trying to say. Yeah, yeah. So, you and know, it all adds together. Well, and so, I mean, um, our family's organisation did a fundraiser a couple of years ago for... Um, a school that's based on a volcano in central Indonesia. Oh, wow. And it's called Sekolah Gunung Merapi. So, um, and it's just, you know, I mean, we, we raised a couple of thousand dollars and it wow. is, we still haven't used it all because it just goes so far. Yeah. And so just even a tiny little amount can, you, you know, really go so far to help people in developing countries. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, even if our listeners... Five dollars, ten dollars. That you know. would be fantastic. Any, any of the above. Any yeah, any of the above. <laughs> would but be you, fantastic. But also, like, you know, come and visit the Asia Book Room. It's a beautiful place here. You can okay. come hang your own decoration on the tree, and yep. you know, check out some of the Asia Pacific books you have in here. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah. All right. Well, look. Thank you so much for that, thank Sally. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll keep our listeners posted on the progress of the tree over the next month or so. Terrific. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank, really you. thank you. Thank you. If you're in the giving spirit this season, the Asia Book Room is one fantastic option. Another favorite option of mine is the Indigenous Literacy Foundation. The ILF is running a giving season campaign to try to raise $50,000. The money will go towards helping Indigenous kids in remote communities by gifting them with 80,000 books, developing their early literacy program, and running writing workshops to publish six more stories in Indigenous languages. $30 will buy four books for kids in remote communities, so check out the link below if you want to get involved. Finally, I wanted to give a shout out to the annual fundraiser run by fantasy author Patrick Rothfuss, World Builders. I've talked about it before in a couple of episodes, but basically the premise is this. World Builders raises money for an organization called Hefe International, which helps people in developing countries access education and resources so that they can improve their standard of living in a sustainable way. What does this have to do with books, you might ask? Well, every year, authors around the world donate books and games and all kinds of nifty stuff as prizes for people who donate. Donors can either donate money and go into the lottery to win prizes. So each USA $10 donation gets you one entry into the lottery, or you can enter into auctions for specific items. Um, If you enter the lottery, you can specify what kinds of prizes you would like, for example, books or board games, and if you're lucky, you might even win one. Last year, I won a six-book fantasy series, which I actually really need to get around to reading. There is also a great story about how every entrant gets a chance to win a special edition of Neil Gaiman's book Stardust, which is a great read, Um, and you can read the story on Pat Rothfuss's blog. You do need to hurry this year, though. World Builders will be finishing very early and it closes on the 8th of December. Anyway, so check out the Asia Book Room's Giving Tree, the Indigenous Literacy Foundation's Giving Campaign and World Builders in the links below for some feel-good giving this holiday season. Now, as the holiday season is just about upon us, I did want to talk about one more giving books tradition that I have informed all of my family will be happening this Christmas and every Christmas henceforth. Jolla Bokaflod. Jolla Bokaflod, apart from being the most fun thing to say ever, is the Icelandic tradition of the Christmas book flood. 
On Christmas Eve, you open the books that you've been given as Christmas presents and then sit around quietly and read them while drinking hot chocolate or an Icelandic drink called Jollibland. Now, I don't know about you, but as a bit of an introvert, sitting around reading books on Christmas Eve drinking hot chocolate basically sounds like heaven and I am insisting that this is what my family is going to do forevermore. The original tradition started after World War II in Iceland and books have grown and grown in popularity since then over there. I have volunteered to sponsor my family's first ever Jollibaka flood so I will be sharing photos of the event but I would love to see anyone else's own celebrations so if you decide to participate in Jollibaka flood Please share your photos with me via the Tinted Edges Facebook page or on the website or email me or tag me. I would love to see them. November was a massive month for book events. I went to so many fantastic ones and really the theme of this podcast could almost have been receiving books. November is a great time to get started on that Christmas shopping and there were two great members sales on in camera. First was the Dimmicks member sale that had 20% off all their books for gold members and I managed to pick up heaps of the new releases that I've been hanging out for. Then was the Harry Hartog VIP event and this was really something. Members of the Harry Hartog Bookstore Rewards Program got a VIP ticket and if they wanted a plus one. So I offered the plus one ticket to the first person to comment on my Patreon page and they came with me to the event. We got a glass of champagne on arrival, 50% off all the books in store, and a chance to win a lucky door prize. Well, guess what? I won a lucky door prize, and I got a pack of four books, and I could not believe my luck. One of the books in the pack is actually one that I've been listening to in quite an unusual format. It's a memoir called Every Lie I've Ever Told by Aussie writer Rosie Waterland. The podcast itself is absolutely wild. For a large proportion of her life, Waterland's mother has been an alcoholic, so when Waterland published her book, her mother was simply not in a position to read it. However, her mother has since sobered up and finally got around to reading the memoir, and her response was to say that Waterland had made most of it up. So, on each episode of their podcast, which is called Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie, Waterland reads a chapter of her book and she and her mother discuss it and it is absolutely riveting. It is basically the world's most intense audiobook. You know, it's such a roller coaster of emotions as they go through all of these really intense events that happened while Waterland was growing up and I would thoroughly recommend it. There were also some stellar author events on over November. Graham Simpson, author of the best-selling autism romance book, The Rosie Project, did a special November event at the Canberra Irish pub um, King O'Malley's called Men and Books. He talked about the importance of getting men to read and the value of books in improving empathy and discussed his own experiences as a man writing romance fiction. He was donating the proceeds of any book sales to Movember, and I already had two of his books, so I was hoping to pick up one of his newer ones to buy. However, the one I was after was already sold out. Graham Simpson signed one of my Rosie books for me, and I told him I'd missed out on a copy of The Best of Adam Sharp. And he asked me if I minded a book with a few notes and tabs in it. And I said, no, I don't, I don't mind. So then he gave me his very own copy. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, I definitely had to donate to Movember after that. So November was a very 
very lucky month for me bookwise. Um, and there is also a hilarious but extremely artistic photo of me that my friend took where I'm basically flapping around his book in excitement after he gave it to me. I also went to two great events at the National Library of Australia, one with acclaimed cartoonist Michael Lunick and one with former tennis star Yelena Dokic about her autobiography. They were both fantastic, fascinating events, and I'll be writing about them for the ACT Writers' Centre as my last two pieces for the ACT Lit Bloggers of the Future program, which unfortunately is drawing to an end this December. So December will be winding down a fair bit for book events in Canberra, but there are a couple of gems going on. The big one is going to be the ACT Book of the Year Awards that are being presented at the ACT Writers' Centre Christmas party. They'll also be announcing the 2017 ACT Writing and Publishing Awards. It's on at 6pm on Thursday the 7th of December and I am very, very excited to go. There's an author talk on at Asia Book Room on the 6th of December at 6pm by Peter Hack about his book The Art Deco Department Stores of Shanghai, The Chinese-Australian Connection. Finally, there's the National Library of Australia Christmas Sale on Saturday the 9th of December. Books are going to be 20% off. Um, It's in-store and online. So if you're stuck for Christmas ideas, get down to the NLA or check out their website from 9am to 5pm and, uh, yeah, see if you can find yourself a bargain. All right, so I had some quality reads during November and I did manage to get through five books. I'm still a little bit behind in my reviews after my five weeks in America, so you're going to get a couple of advanced reviews today. The best book was, without a doubt, the Chinese science fiction novel The Three-Body Problem by Xi uh, Xin Lu, I think is how you say his name. Part historical fiction, mostly hard science fiction. This story is the first in a trilogy about what the world would be like if first contact with extraterrestrials happened in China. I also managed to finish the Man Booker Prize winner Lincoln in the Bardo by George Saunders. A highly creative novel, this book explores the night of the funeral of Abraham Lincoln's son Willie. I thought the premise was really interesting, but it did feel a bit like Saunders tried to jam way too many ideas in that book at the expense of a plot. Finally, the other book of interest I read was the second book in N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth series, The Obelisk Gate. This book picks up after the events of the fifth season, and it's about a world plagued by tectonic events that a group of hated and persecuted and exploited people, the Origines, can control. The second book is just as intense and just as dark, but does perhaps sacrifice some of the character and emotional development of the first book for a much deeper exploration of the magic system. Alright readers, that's it from me. I will be back in January with a summary of 2017 and heaps more book content. If you want to support this podcast and keep it on air, check out the Patreon page, follow the Tinted Edges Facebook page, or subscribe to the Tinted Edges website to keep up to date with book news and book reviews. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next month.